You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Thank you, Jeff. It's so good to be here this morning. Uh, my name's Mark. My wife's name is Mandy, and we have uh, four kids and uh, 11 grandkids, and we've been living in this area for um, a little over 20 years. And I met my wife in 1979, and uh, that was in December. We got married in August of 1980. And upon meeting her, there was this overwhelming sense in my heart and, and in her heart that God had brought us together. In other words, there was this sense that she is the one. I was and still am under this impression that God has this one person for me and that one person is her. So I knew that I had found the one. I knew that God had brought us together. But what I want you to understand this morning is because God brings us together, that doesn't mean that life will be easy. What it means is that there is something holding us together and driving us toward a common goal that is bigger than ourselves. Most of us have trouble in marriage, and most of us have trouble in church because the greatest goal is our happiness. We don't have anything bigger than ourselves that we're living for. We don't have anything bigger than ourselves that we're pointing our children to. We don't have anything bigger than ourselves that we're giving ourselves to. But we had this overwhelming sense, number one, of this reality that she's the one for me and I'm the one for her and it is God who has brought us together. And because we had that sense, that knowledge in our heart, that is the one thing that drove us to figure out how to do life together, how to make life work and to pursue the mission of God and the glory of God as a married couple. That's the way it is in the church as well. And we're going to see that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. We're in the last marriage of our gifted series. And the title of the sermon this morning is True Unity in Diversity. And I want us to read that text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12 and going through verse number 31. And I want you to notice the things that Paul says over and over again. There are some phrases that he uses. There are some, the, there are some markers that he uses that points to the natural divisions of the text. The first thing we're going to see this morning in verses 12 and 13 is the analogy of the body. Listen as Paul speaks. For just as... The body is one and has many members. He's talking about the physical body. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, all the different parts of the body, the hand, the feet, the ears, the eyes, they are many, but there is one body. Now he's telling us this is an, an analogy. So it is with Christ. So he's getting to the point here. He's giving us this analogy of the human body and the spiritual body. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greek, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We see the many and the one. We see the diversity and we see the unity. The second thing he goes to beginning in verse 14 is not only the analogy of the body, but he shows us the tragedy of the body. This is the work of God. This is the will of God. This is how Christ has designed it. The Spirit is working to draw people together in, in a universally, but also in a geographical location because he's talking to the church at Corinth. But he said, there are some things going on among you in your division and in your dysfunction that is keeping the body from functioning in unity. Look at verse 14. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So tragedy number one is this sense of isolation, this, this sense of indifference. Uh, I don't, I don't, the body doesn't need me. I don't have a place in the body. So there are those in the body who are indifferent toward the body of Christ, indifferent toward their engagement in the body of Christ, and essentially and ultimately they are indifferent toward the work that Christ has done in assembling a people together to represent him on the earth. The second thing we see is not only indifference, but we see independence. There's another phrase that obviously is going on. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So we, we go from I do not belong to I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. For example, we, we look at the, the parts that are, that are weaker, the parts that are not as noticeable, the parts that are hidden. Right in. Have you ever seen anybody that lost their feet or their legs? Certainly. They're able to function. Have you ever seen anybody with a patch over their eye? They walk right in. They're able to do everything, almost everything that everybody else is able to do. But there are parts of the body that you can't see, like the liver. And if you've got liver problems, you've got serious problems. If you've got pancreas problems, you've got serious problems. If you've got heart problems, you've got serious problems. You take your heart out, the body's not going to be able to function. And, and he's trying to tell us, look, there are those of you that think because your gifts look so impressive and so important and all out front, and, and you think the church just needs you because you're the, the big mouth in the church standing up in front of everybody preaching, but the, the body doesn't need those people that don't get all the credit and all the glory and all the show. And there are those with the showy gifts that say, I'll do it myself. I, don't, I have no need of you. And Paul is saying, no, every part of the body is absolutely necessary. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be, listen, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets and third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. Now, I don't think he's using this to teach necessarily about the details that he's breaking down here. 
He goes through all of the showy, impressive gifts among the, the Corinthians because he wants them to understand not only do they have a problem of indifference, not only do they have a problem of, of, uh, of independence, but they have a problem with arrogance. They want the showy gifts. And I believe this final statement is not an encouragement to desire the higher gifts, but it is him correcting them for their desire of the higher gifts. People run to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and they pull out all sorts of normative things things and they say, hey, this verse in this context says this, but they lose sight of the fact that this was an arrogant group of people that were extremely immature. And Paul is writing this letter to correct a bunch of problems going on in the church. And so essentially what he's saying when he comes down to the end of the text in verse 31, but you earnestly desire the higher gifts, it's, it's, it's him essentially telling them you need to correct that. You don't need to be a people that are arrogant and think that only the higher gifts are the important gifts, but all of the gifts are important. And so we see the analogy of the body, we see the tragedy of the body, and he closes it out with, and I will show you a more excellent way. We see, um, we see the beauty of the body. Uh, I don't think Paul's telling them at the end of verse 31 to desire the higher gifts, but... I'm going to show you a different way. I don't think he's saying I'm going to show you a more excellent way because all the gifts are going away. He's saying all the gifts are necessary for the body. So let me break it down for a few minutes this morning and talk to you first of all about the analogy of uh, the body. And Paul makes reference to the human body. The human body is one miraculous, cohesive, coordinated, connected, comprehensive, in, um, indivisible organism. It is an indivisible organism. Organism. There are many members with many specialized parts that all work together to achieve one objective. He says, yet it is one body. They are coordinated parts orchestrated for one purpose. Coordinated parts orchestrated for one purpose. Now listen, here's what he's trying to get across to the Corinthians. The, the body dies when you separate it, when you parse it all out, when you emphasize one part above another part. It is, it is uh, coordinated parts orchestrated for one purpose. That's the human body, the miracle of the human body. My hand isn't all of a sudden going to decide to do what it wants to do. My ear isn't going to decide to do what it wants to do. My feet are not going to decide to do what they want to do. They're all going to work in unison because the head is telling them what they should be doing so that we can work together. He's saying just like the human body works with that great beauty and precision, the, 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 the most amazing thing that God ever created, so should the spiritual body operate in that fashion. So it is with Christ. The same God who created the human body created the body of Christ. And so it begins to emphasize from that analogy, the spiritual body. Listen carefully. The church is a collection of people who have the very life of God flowing within them, flowing among them, flowing out of them. Just as God created and breathed life into the body, right? God took this, this clay and he formed this body. And in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, it says he breathed life into that thing that he had made and it became a living soul. He is also, listen, he is also created and breathed life into 
His body, the church. That's why the word for spirit in the Greek is, is pneumatos. It's, it's the word for spirit. It's the word for breathe. The spirit that fills the church is the very breath of God, just like the breath that fills the life of us as human beings is the very breath of God. And this has direct and necessary bearing on how we live, how we relate, and how we pursue his mission and his glory together. It is this spiritual life manifesting itself among us relationally and practically that makes the body of Christ beautiful and magnetic. So let us understand that this morning. We, we have this analogy of the physical body, but we are a spiritual body, and the Spirit lives and dwells in us. The very life of God lives and dwells in us. The very life of God lives and dwells among us. The very life of God flows from us as the body of Christ by God's design. You say, where do you get that? Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What is he telling us? Jesus, with great purpose and precision, has taken many unique parts and assembled them together into one body. Think about it for a minute, if you will. It is the orchestration of unique histories, unique abilities, unique personalities, all in one geographical location at a particular point in time in history. It is the very providence of God that you were born in this era, that you live in this region, that you are connected to the particular people that are sitting in this room this morning. It is not random. Our being together this morning and this week and this year in this place is not something that's casual or happenstance. So we cannot take being the church lightly. We cannot take being the body of Christ lightly. We can't get in and get out whenever we want to. We can't just show up or stay home as if we don't matter. We are part of something that has been orchestrated by Jesus Christ himself for his mission and his glory. Who we are as a gathered people and what we do as a gathered people is not only important to him, it is also designed by him. Do you understand that in verse 13? He has taken us and put us together in one body. We are the body of Christ together. We are his bride. We are his dwelling place. We are his family. We are his house. We are his temple. The text says we are his body. And it took place through a spiritual transaction. It took place when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all righteousness. When Jesus Christ came and died in our place for our sin. When Jesus Christ rose victorious over an enemy that we could not defeat and we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. It is at that moment that Jesus Christ himself by his spirit places us into his body, connects us to other human beings and we become one people and one body together. The human body is a miraculous work of creation. The body of Christ is a miraculous work of regeneration. And he's told this body, he said, I want you to pray together. I want you to go and make disciples together. I want you to bear one another's burdens together. I want you to do life together. I want you to worship together. I want you to speak among yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart together. I want you to remember me together. Folks, because this is a work of Christ and those who have believed in him, this is not something that is optional. Connection to and participation in the function of the body is not optional. Why is that? Because we've been joined to the very life of Jesus Christ. 
We have been joined to the very life of Jesus Christ. To other people who have been joined to the very life of Jesus Christ. And this is a work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that we cannot negate. Now let me be careful and quick to also tell you that in this context, this is a very dysfunctional church. This is an arrogant church. I'm talking about the church at Corinth, not, not y'all. It's a, a self-righteous church. It's a self-serving church. They're highly individualistic. They're insensitive to those around them. Some of them, according to the text, were throwing a pity party. Some of them were saying, I don't need anybody. I'll do it all myself. Some were full of themselves and were certain that they didn't need the low lives. Some were whiny because they were not included. And so Paul is writing to them. And here's what you need to understand. That when, when all of the division and all of the sense of I don't belong or I'm not a part or I don't contribute or I'm not necessary, I don't need anybody else. Whenever there are things that rise up in the church that create division among us, and some of them could be legitimate things that on a secondary level might cause division, what you and I need to understand is Jesus Christ is standing and looking at us saying, no, 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 you do not divide yourselves as a body because when you do, you are dividing something that I, by divine design, by my power, by my spirit, have put together. And I think we don't grasp that sometimes. I think it's interesting that he made it clear that the work of the spirit in verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body and he mentions some things, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. All ingested one spirit. So when the spirit came in them, all of them, as diverse as they were, as different as they were, as warring factions as they were, as messed up as those people apart from Christ looked like and existed in the culture around them, when they came into Christ and Christ came into them and they came into the church, all of those things went away. They were different cultures, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political backgrounds. And what the church at Corinth was trying to do was organize itself around those sub-identities. Imagine the conversation. Hey, which life you, what life group do you go to? Uh, I go to the Greek life group. Really? Which life group do you go to? Well, I go to the Jewish life group, right? Which life group do you go to? I go to the Republican life group <laughs> with people who have come to me, who are resting their hope in me. While those things may be realities and things that we are aware of and things that we are influenced by in the culture around us, there is something within us that is driving us to be a part of one body no matter what our background is. Now, the church today is being forced to make these things divisive factors. In fact, the gospel is be, being replaced with a mentality that says we have to accentuate all of our differences and set the gospel aside and set the work of Jesus Christ aside and set the work of the Spirit of God aside. 
Hey, what's happening over at the slave life group? I don't know what's going on at the slave life group, man. I'm telling you, those guys over there, they're always up in arms about something. They're trying to start a union. They're trying to get equal work for equal pay. They're trying to make sure they're recognized. I'm glad I go to the free life group, man. I don't, we don't have to deal with all of that. Is, 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 that what, is that what Christ would have for his church? No, he would have his people unified in his death and in his burial and his resurrection. He would have them unified by the power of his spirit, working together on mission for him that they might bring glory to him. There is no greater identity that you have been saved to than that as the people of God, the body of Christ, the mission of God for the glory of God. And our divisions cause us to cut off a foot or a hand, and it is not what Christ has saved us so that's the analogy of the body. But secondly, we see the tragedy of the body, and I'll try to hasten through as I've already touched on these three things. The first, the first tragedy of the body is, is indifference. In other words, there are those who have certain gifts that presume that there are other gifts that are not as important or not as necessary. There are other gifts that are more important than they are, therefore they can opt out. There are those that are operating out of self-centeredness, that are operating out of negative energy, that are operating out of uh, relational stagnation. Therefore, when they're operating in this energy that's given to us in the text, in this mentality that's given to us in the text, in this lack of focus or centering on Christ and what He has done, these things then begin to happen in our mind and happen in our relationships and happen to the church. I'm not engaged, I'm not busy, I'm not involved, I'm not serving, I'm not serving in my community because I have the spirit and this attitude of indifference. And your indifference is hurting the body. Your indifference is paralyzing the body. I remember the progression, I keep checking myself um, because I remember when my dad started losing um, his cognitive abilities, his ability to remember, his ability to be engaged in the moment. And I watched that digression over uh, a period of a decade. And sometimes I wonder if that's not beginning to happen to me, right? We, we're all that way. We see things happen and then we're wondering, is that happening to me? And after the sermon today, maybe you'll feel like it is happening to me and that'll be okay. Um, when the mind goes, it affects everything in your life. It affects every relationship. It affects how you function physically. It affects the entire family. If any of you is here this morning and you have an attitude or a heart or a practical lifestyle of indifference to the work that Christ has done in you, or you have an indifference to the work that Christ is doing through his body, you are hurting the cause of Jesus Christ himself. There is no place for indifference. And if indifference grips your heart, I would encourage you this morning to repent of your indifference. And you've allowed yourself through your thinking to get to the place of having a pity party by saying, I don't matter. And what we do is we use that really as an excuse and as a way of thinking to free ourselves to do what we want to do independent of everybody else. It's, it's, it's profoundly self-serving because now I can do whatever I want to. Why? Well, it's your fault. It's your fault. You have no need of me. 
The, the second thing is not only indifference, but it's independence. I have no need of you. There are those in the body who overestimate their importance and they underestimate the importance of others. Human independence seems quite logical. I mean, it's a leftover from, from uh, the Garden of Eden post, post-fall. It's the residue of Eden and, and our sinfulness. Paul is pointing it out, the very body, parts of the body that are not like us are the ones that we need the most. Therefore, those who lead, therefore, those who uh, have the, the most uh, impressive gifts, the, those who say, I can do it alone, need to stop and call a timeout and say, wait a minute, that person that I really don't like because uh, they're too emotional or they're too feely or they're going to hold us back from pursuing the mission, those are the people that I need to stop and take a minute and say, hey, can I go connect with them? I need that person. Are you that person that's independent at South Point? I'll do it myself. I don't want anybody slowing me down. I'm not going to make a phone call. I'm not going to take a little more time to involve somebody in a project. I'm not going to take a little bit of time to take somebody on a visit with me while I go counsel someone. Uh, I can do it myself. Independence. When we desperately need other people in the body. God so composed the body that there be no division, that there be deep connection, that there be deep care, that there be deep respect circling around everywhere and everyone. Let me say that again. God has so composed the body, and this text will bear this out, that there be no division, that no one who has a particular kind of gift doesn't look at someone else who doesn't have the same gift and perhaps is not accomplishing on paper statistically the same things. You never look at those people and somehow put people on a graduated scale of importance, but everybody in the body is of equal importance, and there should be this sense in our heart of the importance of everyone in the body and their function in the body, but there also should be this encouragement that takes place in the body from the most prominent person to the person that is the most behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. There shouldn't be any division. There should be a deep conviction that there should be deep care and respect circulating around the body based on how God has wired us and gifted us. Paul's saying that we should honor, we should rejoice, we should suffer let me ask you just a couple of questions. When's the last time you rejoiced with somebody because of the way that God used their gifts in his body, in their community, in the world around us? When's the last time you genuinely rejoiced with them? That means that we're connected when something good happens to somebody else and we rejoice with them. Let me, let me take it a step further. When's the last time you suffered with somebody? There's a ton of suffering going on in the world today. And if, if you just don't want to really feel good about everything, go suffer with somebody. Go empathize with somebody in suffering. Go hurt with somebody who's hurting. Go walk with somebody that can't figure it out. Go suffer with somebody. If there is anybody in this body, they have occasion for rejoicing. Everybody in the body should be rejoicing with them. And if there are people in the body that are suffering and struggling, and Paul is saying this is just how connected we are, because if good things are happening to other people in the body, and there's reason to rejoice, and you're not rejoicing, you're missing something that I intended for you. And if there are those that are suffering and you're not suffering with them, they're missing something that I intended for them and for you in their suffering. Why did he give us this in this text? Because there are those that are independent in the body that say, I can just do it myself. 
He's also giving us in this, in this text uh, this teaching for this reason. It, it, is, it is obviously um, profoundly indicative of how closely intertwined our relationships are in the body. Go back to verse 13. Jesus Christ, every single one of you that is born again, that is a believer, every single one of you, Jesus Christ said, I want you at this time in this place in history, in this geographical location, to come and gather with this group of people, and I want you to be in relationship with them. I'm going to put the life of God in you. The life of God is going to be among you, and the life of God is going to flow out of you. But all of that happens when we understand that and we function together as one people, as the body of Christ. But when we don't, those among us and those around us miss out on the life of God that is supposed to be flowing from His people. So you didn't just get up and come to church today. You are part of a living body. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be indifferent. Don't be independent. Don't be arrogant. That's the last thing that he deals with. He gives us a list of these showy gifts. He's given all these gifts to the body, but you are earnestly desiring the higher gifts. Stop wanting impressive gifts. The point is this, God decides who gets the gifts. Leave it up to him. Let him do what he wants to do through his body because the way God is putting his body together is is creating a beautiful picture of how his body is, to, is supposed to function. So there's this beautiful analogy of the body. There is this tragedy of the body, indifference, independence, and arrogance. Search your heart. Where, where are you serving? How are you serving? How is, how is the Spirit flowing through you? How are you connected to this body and the Spirit is flowing among you and the people of God? And how is the Spirit of God, the life of God, flowing from this collected people here as a congregation of believers, as the body of Christ? But then finally we see the beauty of the body. The beauty of the body. Chris talked about that last week. He's talking about it this morning. Um, in Locust Grove. There is a more excellent way, and that excellent way is when the life of Christ fills us, and the life, life of Christ is among us, and the life, life of Christ flows from us that can be defined and described in no better way than, than to be defined and described as love. Some of us want to emphasize, Chris talked about it last week, some of us want to emphasize the power of our gifts, the, the showiness of our gifts, the, the precision of our theology. And if all of that is done without love, it is a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's a loud noise that nobody wants to hear. It's the train passing through Locust Grove at 2 a.m. in the morning when you're not sleeping good anyway, and it wakes you up, and you're wondering, why are they doing that? that, is, that is, and that's the way it is when we're in Christ and we're not operating out of His love in us, His love among us, and His love flowing from us, the life of God Himself flowing from the body. But when that happens, there is something beautiful and magnetic as it relates to that. So we see 
This morning, the analogy of the body, we see the tragedy of the body, and we see the beauty of the body. Let me close with a few questions, and then I've got a, a, brief, uh, a brief video I want you to watch this morning. The first question I would ask is this, are you a Christian? If you don't get anything I've said this morning, it could be that, that you have never rested your hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? Are you a believer? Look at verse 13 and ask yourself, for in one spirit we were all baptized. Are you living for your glory? If you are a Christian, you were designed by God, placed by Christ, gifted by the Spirit, so that you will connect to other believers in this church for the sake of His mission and His glory. Listen to me carefully. Your life should be arranged around this relationship and this objective. Your life should be arranged around your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with everybody. Your life should be arranged around your relationship with everybody in this body, and your life should be arranged around the mission of this body that we might go forth for the glory of God. So I would say, what are you living for? What are you living for? Thirdly, who are you connected to? Who are you pulling with? Who are you serving with? Who are you growing with? Who are you making disciples with? Who are you rejoicing with? Who are you suffering with? And I would ask you, are you indifferent? If you're indifferent, you're hurting this church. You're hurting the body of Christ. I would ask you to figure out what's causing that indifference and repent of it. Repent of it now. There's too much at stake. Your, your indifference gets you nothing. It just feeds your pride. I, I would say, are you independent? I'll just do my own thing. I'll just operate on my own. If you are independent, you are hurting this church. You are hurting the cause of Christ. You are hurting the mission of God. I would say this morning, are you arrogant? And if you are arrogant, repent of it. Repent of your arrogance. Repent of your independence. Repent of your indifference and humble yourself before Almighty God and before the people in this body. And then finally, have you experienced the excellent way? The way of love. God demonstrating His love toward us in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ coming and living in us and filling us with His love. And now the love of Christ is constraining us. The love of Christ is living in us and flowing through us. And then we get together with other people that, that have experienced the life of Christ and the love of Christ. And now we become this one cohesive unit called the body of Christ. And now those around us are able to experience the love of Christ because we are conduits for that love. We are conduits for that life. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ. Are you experiencing the excellent way?